and welcome everyone back to the Dyson and Design podcast. How are we doing, guys? Very well, thanks. Very well. Uh, I'm Grant. We've got Colin here. Hello, hello. And Joe. Hello, listeners. And this episode will be just from ourselves a brief introduction uh, before we go on to Colin's interview with the founder of Rakes Games. He's got a brand new game to uh, promote and tell us about. Uh, so how did that interview go, Paul? It was really good, actually. Yes, yeah, Julian's a really good guy. Uh, quite interesting to talk to and just has some really quite... Uh, quite sort of concrete ideas and how he wants to uh, reimagine role-playing games, I guess. Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, you'll hear it in the interview and we can have a wee chat about it beforehand too, what you guys thought. So, yeah, it was good. So largely fell into two, it fell into two parts, didn't it? Yeah, did I? Yeah, so uh, it t- we went on for quite a while actually chatting away and um, we split it up into two sections. Basically, the first half of the interview, we had a chat about uh, their game, which is... Um, the rake system and uh, they've got a new uh, sort of a new setting coming out soon as well called uh, Chrome War 2145 so we were talking about that system uh, and the game itself how it all works and everything how they went about designing it first uh, but the second half we actually had a chat about um, Julian's advice on uh, running a role playing game company I guess or how how to go about being a professional games designer how to go about uh, creating games getting them promoted getting publishers all that kind of stuff so hopefully that'll be quite interesting to some folk if uh, there's anyone out there that actually wants to get on board with that or is trying to release their own games just now so I guess we'll do the um the games description one uh, this time round, and uh, we'll put the uh, the sort of business side of things, how to run a role playing games company or by yourself, uh, in the next one. So tune in again if you're interested. Obviously, should we have we chat about that about the games design and what we got from the interview? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So uh, well, I would be interested to hear what you guys thought of it. You've listened to the interview, uh, so um, what did you think? What do you think of the system or what his ideas and what they're uh, creating there? Shall we start for Joe? I think he wants to uh, defend his corner from a couple of things <laughs> you might have said in the interview. Oh, yes. Well, that, okay. Well, let me let me explain that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> We've. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if this has uh, come out in this podcast so yeah, far, but the, of the crunch. Yeah, the, but there's a, a bit of a. Um, I I quite like quite a lot of numbers and stuff in games I, I, I've i never been against the old D&D and uh, Rollmaster type systems whereas uh, it's possible, correct me if I'm wrong Joe, but you're a little bit more uh, anti uh, concrete stats and rules is that right or am I no, picking up? Wrong. that's completely wrong <laughs> I'm anti stats for stats sake right okay are just ridiculously big mm-hmm Inelegant design. Right, okay. Um, so, but your games tend to be more story based and less concrete, more uh, interpretation and uh, improvisation than uh, I can do this because I have a stat that says that. Um, I've moved away from the kind of sandbox, uh, you might call simulationist style of games design mm-hmm. which you yeah. very much is it's kind of a generic system in the classic D&D mould or especially D&D 3rd edition Pathfinder it look, it, it's very clearly 
grew out of those designs yeah. derived from them. And I think Julian says as much pretty early on the, in, um, the interview that, uh, that not, he, he considers nothing original in games design anymore in role yeah. design. So acknowledges that he's taken influences from a lot of games out of it. Um, but um, my games are trying to move away from that kind of sandbox classical DM style where it's not really you just explore a world but there's no nothing that really focuses you there's to uh, a focus being on a certain element in the story but you will still have just as crunchy mechanics exploring that and late tonight if we get around to playing Eternal Contenders then I think that'll make sense yeah well, do you know what? I, I, think, yeah. I, I, I think, Colin, where you've got mixed up is, I think we're mixing our dichotomies as I did <laughs> near the end of last, uh, the end of last episode. Right. Uh, what you're talking about is, well, I think Joe's games are now coming out with a very, quite a crunchy and certainly a very uh, concrete rule set, but they're n- uh, they're not as simulationist as uh, as games like D&D or, or games like the Rake system. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Where you have stats, you have very fixed numbers in, in, in Joe's games, but they're not telling you exactly how good you are at climbing a tree. Well, yeah. at the one extreme, how good you are at climbing a tree versus climbing a mountain. That doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So jump over a 10-foot pit just doesn't happen in my games. You can just do it. If yeah. Unless it's important to the story, then maybe you'll have to test. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what? But I, other, I, other things are tested for. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm probably, I'm probably mixing up a, a, a little bit what crunching what what you refer to by crunchiness anyway because yeah. I always think of that as the numbers for for fights or skill checks or whatever but yeah you're right I mean you're you're still you've got the rules in the other places haven't you uh, well in Eternal Contenders it's, it's very much in the combat system mm. oh, it's got a very crunchy combat system but the the crunch uh, yeah it's a different way of looking at it it's not the mastery that you need of a system, going back to what we talked about on one of the other episodes, where we talked about um, rule mastery versus in-game tactics. Uh, you don't need to know all 50 levels of a skill tree that exists mm. in the game for one of the seven classes. Uh, the meaningful player decisions are choosing your tactics each round and choosing when to use one of your special techniques. Which is simple to get the idea of to learn the basics, um, but yeah. there's a lot of, of crunch in that in terms of tactics and how mechanics interact against each other. Fatigue coming in, other characters starts dropping later. If you get to do damage, what do you do to try and stop them hitting you, or do you want to make sure that their guard goes down so you can try and damage them more? Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, I've not played Eternal Contenders yet, so I've no idea actually. <laughs> anyway, I'll I'll you slip. A play test version. Oh yeah, of course, but I don't remember because I was very drunk apparently. <laughs> and not, I think it was just no, I think it was before we got drunk. I think we were yeah. maybe still hung over that point, but it was oh, just really? very long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe you'll come to maybe we'll point this out as we go through the game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Are we friends again? No, no. Well, okay. One last one last thing. I was gonna I was gonna write back actually to you, Joe, when you said about that. Um, I was gonna defend myself, but then I thought, oh, fuck it. It's more it's more fun actually. Uh, just shouting back at you. <laughs> I was going to say um, it was not I was saying your games have a lack of crunch it's the fact that they your games 
games thrive on being less crunchy because it's much more open, much more interpretive, much more fun because you're not stuck with that simula- simulationness. So it was more of a, well, I didn't say it that way maybe in an interview, but it was meant as a, a compliment to yours. Okay. <laughs> a very backhanded compliment. Yeah, no, I'm not very good at compliments. <laughs> well, there's the compliment then. <laughs> okay, um, certainly... And if we're talking now about the games design of this Reek system, uh, a couple of things that interested me were uh, just how he's going to, Im- just how he's implemented the uh, three actions per round, and 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 what exactly that means. He's talking about a kick and a punch taking a different number of actions, and I wonder if the. Um, how the rest of the rules play out in in terms of maybe using up more actions per round and uh, sort of the tactical variation from that. Uh, And also, uh, just just looking forward to reading more of the setting, which seems to be a mixture of uh, steam technology and magic uh, in there. I think there's... Yeah, there, there's exploration not only of a planet and the tribes living on that, but also the local solar system, uh, which which may prove interesting. Uh, certainly, like the there's there's a bit of art in the front cover of somebody uh, going down a zip wire between a steam powered uh, uh, aircraft and a, and a steam powered train going uh, over a big old rickety bridge. Mm. Uh, which looked pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> uh, so it's it's a bit it's the world I like to read about, and uh, how we got our playtest copies, and which oh, have I said too much? NDA, NDA, NDA. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, that's the other thing. I an end an undisclosure agreement, like a kind of for a, a, a game, especially a first game in the role playing field it just seems a bit excessive unless you are Wizards of the Coast <laughs> I've never bothered with anything like wait no no one's going to steal any mechanics well I suppose especially if it's not original anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you admit that but yeah no I mean yeah oh, each to your own eh? but I, I yeah I think it's all been released now anyway or not released exactly but it's close enough he said that it On didn't matter really so much yeah yeah uh, uh, what else is saying? Uh, yeah, sorry, that, yeah, the three action thing. Sorry, I was curious uh, yeah, from your um, more, yeah, your more uh, extensive games knowledge, uh, Joe. Is that a new thing, or is that someone that's been been out for? I thought that sounded quite interesting, being able to add just a bit more tactics to each turn. Um, well, I mean, you've historically had different games where you've got different numbers of actions per turn, mm. but it's just a, an arbitrary three instead of Pathfinder or Standard, which is an arbitrary two actions. Instead. Oh right, okay, yeah. Um, not. Are there other games where you can uh, increase the difficulty of your actions by piling more and more actions into uh, oh, into Feng your Shui. turn? Yeah, it totally reminds me of Feng Shui. The way that uh, Initiative worked in that game was each action you, it counted down, and each action you did took up three was three shots was about a basic action, but you could extend that, spend more time aiming at someone, or you could do stunts or then quickly. Um, so you could do more in a, in a round. But each thing was measured out. Like some of the more powerful techniques would take up six shots or something. Mm-hmm. So. And I know there was also um, Yggdrasil, was that Viking game was playing a wee while ago, that uh, had rules for 
piling on more and more actions, but of course they get more difficult as you went along, uh, as you did more and more. Mm. And classic uh, storyteller as well, split your dice pool and you can do more actions. It's you could, I think there was, there's no limit really on the number of actions you could do in a storyteller system, you know, vampire or werewolf, but you had to split your dice pool. But if you had certain disciplines that give you haste-like abilities, then you could just take more actions. Mm -hmm. I was also Fireborn I played as well, which is uh, really good. It had a bewildering array of different actions that you could take, all the different difficulties, and again, you'd pile more on, do more and more in one turn, and there were also combos between the actions. But as you added more and more in, it became more difficult. There's such a huge range of a huge array of different actions that you could take that it would be almost impossible. Except that on the website, it had loads of action cards. You could plan out your actions and put, you know, block, punch, trip down in the table in front of you to with all the complicated rules written on the cards. Uh, to, to put your move together and, and, and do that uh, do that combo. The thing with those combat systems is the, the more you put in, the slower it gets because you increase the handling time usually in those kind of systems mm. for every extra thing you add. So you've got to balance that. Yeah, but what I liked about Fireborn was the fact that you did have these cards and therefore and they'll be so you'd have a big hand of them if you had all of them, but you wouldn't ever use all of them because your character wouldn't be good wouldn't have enough agility for someone, wouldn't have enough strength for another one. So you'd have maybe a choice of ten, and you would uh, choose choose between which ones you wanted to use. You'd put them in the table in front of you, it told you what the difficulty penalty was, and what the reward was if, if it came off, and so you'd have that in front of you. And, you know, I like cards. And then would you have um, to roll for it, or does the card let you do it? The card wasn't actually part of the system, really. It's just a reference, but it's a really useful reference. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Like spell cards in Warhammer. They're very useful. Mm, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah, you don't need them, but you kind of need them. They're handy as hell. Yeah. They are handy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They always go up massively in value on eBay. <laughs> Limited editions run out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to buy some Lizardman cards, if I remember. <laughs> Minton packet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so is that a, uh, is that an intro for the? Uh, so yeah. those are the things I find most interesting about yeah. the game design. Is uh, are we ready to go on to the mm-hmm. on to the interview now? Yeah, let's fire in. So, uh, folks, well, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's about thirty minutes or so on um, Rick's games uh, and their new setting, Cromer Twenty One Forty Five, um, with T. Julian Bell. Uh, enjoy. Okay, so uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast, Julian. Um, do you want to just uh, probably introduce yourself to the listeners first? That'd be quite good. Yeah, uh, my name's T. Julian Bell. I am the uh, lead writer and game designer at Rakes Games. Jeez, what do you want to know? Well, um, well, that was a good first start, actually. I wasn't sure exactly how to pronounce it. <laughs> I kept saying R-E-E-X Games. Oh, Rakes. Than, yeah, a lot yeah. of people say Rakes. Um, Rakes Games. Uh, it stands for Role Playing Adventure Experience but it's been shortened down to rakes over the years. Yeah. So that's the name of your system, isn't it? Yes. The rakes system is uh, something that derived from about five years ago uh-huh. and slowly it's just kind of continued along and uh, gained weight 
over the years, but the Rake's system is uh, the game system that's utilized with the uh, the upcoming release, Chrome 2145, and uh, our free public handbook as well. Yeah, great. Okay, cool. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, I want to go through, um, I think, uh, well, I'm interested, certainly. I think everyone else will be as well, uh, just to see how, where, where you got to this stage. Um, I don't know if you know that much about our podcast, um, the type of listeners that... Um, that well the type of people that listen to us it's kind of it's a games design podcast we have quite a lot of folk that are interested in how um how you come about creating games and a lot of people who are actually games designers as well so they're probably interested in kind of your journey and how you came from being um interested in that i guess uh, dabbling in it right up to being a pro games designer that you are today uh so um what what exactly did you do before you became a, a sort of pro in the games industry how did you how did you get to that uh, that point uh, well, my background is actually in the film industry. Uh, I did work in computer gaming, uh, doing marketing and commercial material production. But my overall film background, industry background, is in production. And uh, I've done film industry work with uh, coordinating, production coordinating, writing. Uh, I've actually done some acting. Um, and we're, we're talking uh, like big movies, not not the little you know, I've done a few small projects too, but uh, the bigger industry with the uh, coordinated production, things like that. Mm, and sure. uh, computer game, I worked at Icarus Studios um, many years ago. Um, they are no longer in existence, but um, I made some great contacts there and uh, learned a bit about the computer game world different than the film uh, production world. Mm. And uh, between that and my writing background, I also used to do a lot of uh, legal work in the entertainment industry years and years ago in New York City and uh, all of that I guess kind of has come to fruition with my love for gaming and uh, <laughs> game design and I started years ago before I actually worked at Icarus um, dabbling with my own game design I guess more more out of frustration Mm -hmm. I guess of, of particular games that I played at the time or games that that weren't doing what I wanted um, I wasn't getting out of them what I wanted to get out of them, and yeah. uh, I wanted to do more. And I uh, I decided to, I guess, build my own game, which was uh, at the time looking back was it's overwhelming to look back and see how far it's come. And I think if uh, if someone five years ago had said you're going to be releasing your own, uh, you, you know, your first huge game campaign. There's going to be uh, a lot of people backing it and uh, some great art and great story and great setting and system. I think I would have been like, yeah, yeah, it's totally easy, <laughs> totally possible. But <laughs> five years later, and looking back, it's it's definitely been a lot of work and a lot of grind and uh, trial and error. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but getting me here, um, I think just the fact that I have a degree in um, production design as well. Right. Um, just just the organizational aspect of of designing something from the ground up and then the willingness to take uh, criticism from all sorts of people because the gaming world especially the tabletop gaming world as you may have encountered in your past is a very critical world <laughs> and people have very strong opinions and they they like their opinions and they like the way they play things their way and uh, when you're when you're creating something like a an RPG tabletop game versus a um, a computer game or or an app game or a, a tabletop board game, 
there's so much more openness to the to the system and the rules and and you get into a lot of tweaking and uh, balance issues that that don't really exist in other games where you can kind of cut them cut players off from things like mm. in a computer game world where you can just say well they can't do this so I'm not allowing them the ability to press X here yeah um, <laughs> but in a, in a tabletop game there's there's so many more options for players and finding a way to limit the breaking of the system but keep the openness of of the system for people to do whatever they want is really um what actually got me into doing it in the first place so is that something you've perfected do you think or is that still uh, an oh i mean i i won't <laughs> i won't sit here and tell you i'm this is the best game ever um i mean it's there's some great things going on um in the rake system there's uh there's i don't know how much you want me to get into it um yeah why not go for uh, it go for it there's uh, some some really interesting things that are in the system that are either I, there's nothing original in gaming anymore. I'll say that flat out. But <laughs> there are things that are stolen or converted from other ideas, and I, and I say stolen loosely. I mean stolen as in you roll dice just like other games, yeah. or you build your character like other games. There's a leveling system, um, and uh, I think ultimately. Uh, and and I'll I'll digress a lot. You just have to keep me on track. <laughs> Ultimately, we, we like um, digressions, don't worry. <laughs> Rakes, uh, Rakes kind of is this um, traditional game where, uh, and it's intended for for players that are that are familiar with RPG games to jump in easily. It's not um, an abstraction of a of a of a dice game. It doesn't have a d20 system. However, you do roll a one d20 for skills. Um, in the inverse way that you would roll it for most games, um, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons or mm. uh, any any game with a roll twenty or, or a d twenty um, concept to it, mm. uh, you actually roll to go underneath your skill. Um, right. Okay. And there's a lot of percentage games out there. And actually, the skill system in this game used to be a hundred percent game where you you'd go from zero to a hundred percent, and I just reduced that over time to to being 5% of that and um, basically taking one um, one in the d20 as 5% and just reduced all the skills into um, a smaller number just so yeah. that people could easily handle it e without having these gigantic numbers over mm -hmm. time. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, how much do you want me to, to tell well, or just well, <laughs> specific curious, um, or... What's your What is your gaming history then? So what what kind of um, got you into gaming? It's just interesting to know what the influences are behind uh, Rakes. Oh, man. Um, well, I was a big computer game and uh, video gamer for ages. Uh, I loved Atari. My dad had a um, Atari 8600. He had the, uh, I think, it, I don't remember if it's 3600. All, all the different numerical numbers of Atari growing yeah. up in the 80s. Yeah, the <laughs> and then I had the, um, with, with the basic, you, you put in the giant basic uh, program, you start writing code and play yeah. your own game of Pong, yeah. and then you pull the, the cartridge out and it would erase all the data you've yeah, done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or you put one line yeah. wrong and it erases 3,000 lines worth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your programming is all gone to waste. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, I started off with things like that, and I'm no programmer by any means. Um, I do dabble in a little bit of, of code, and I can I can play with Excel all day long and make great formulas in there. <laughs> but I like to for computer game stuff, and there are some projects that I'm working on that I just kind of hand that stuff off to the the professionals there. Hmm. Um, 
but uh, I, I was a, I was a big Atari fan, um, and then Nintendo, of course, the original Nintendo. Um, I still think Super Mario Brothers is the greatest game that's ever been made. <laughs> to this day, I can sit down in it. I remember all the little jumps and all uh, and all the maneuvers, and it's yeah. still in my mind has all the qualities of a great game. And uh, I've actually written an article um, about uh, uh, the the three uh, the three elements of gaming, the uh, the balance between skill, reward, and story. Mm-hmm. And those those three things over time, I, I think if you if if I look at all the games I've ever really enjoyed, it's it's that balance between those three things that makes makes a good game for me. Hmm. Um, Say that but, again. Uh, Sorry, what the three the three elements skill. Uh, I call it SRS. Yeah. Uh, skill, reward, and story. Right. Okay. Sure. And um, over time, I, I think some of the games that I really love, I, I've played dozens and dozens and dozens upon dozens of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, computer games, hundreds. I've play tested <laughs> uh, so many different games. I can't even remember them all. And uh, board games, I love Risk. Um, I love, I love chess. Risk, I think chess are. is the epitome <laughs> of a great game. And um, when you look at uh, the game design of chess, it has skill, which is probably 95% of that game. Um, the reward of chess is winning, of course, or mm-hmm. taking your other opponent's pieces. And then the uh, the story is simply my soldiers are going to beat your soldiers. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to take your king down, and yeah. that's the goal. And there's something and, compelling, um, even though it's quite some something compelling about the king there, isn't there? It's, uh, yeah, it puts it, a character it, behind that piece. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the story. That and yeah. there, there's it wouldn't be the same story if you just had stones on the table. Yeah. That would just be checkers. <laughs> and, and in my opinion, checkers isn't a very good game. It's very simple and basic. You, you still say king me in checkers though, mm-hmm. which is oh, derived yeah. from chess. Yeah. And. Um, Th- those three elements of skill, reward, and story, if you look at any game, I think Left 4 Dead, a computer game that's put out a few years back, mm-hmm. uh, Left 4 Dead 1 and 2, which are pretty much the same, Though that game particularly is, in my mind, one of the newer great games that's been released because it it, it keeps the skill, the game, the gamer's ability to you know shoot zombies or, or maneuver, mm-hmm. and the reward, which is surviving, uh, linked in with the story. The entire game is built upon you start here, you have to get there mm-hmm. without dying. And to do it, you have to use skill and survive. So the three elements are merged together, whereas you get games like World of Warcraft, which is all reward. You know, what loot you're going to get next, what level you're getting, what yeah. abilities you get at the next level. That's all reward. Yeah. Uh, the story is pretty boring in World of Warcraft, in my opinion. But some well, people like it. Yeah, the story is basically uh, uh, go and kill yeah, 20 kobolds and I'll give you a magic cloak. Exactly. <laughs> um, and the skill in World of Warcraft is really not... I mean, you're, you're clicking the same buttons over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a, a rote routine at that point. Yeah. So that game makes millions based on its reward system alone. And, and same with uh, all the apps you find on Facebook or all, all these... Um, these pumped out games over the last few years where it's, you know, give us more money and then you can unlock more rewards and yeah. grind the same the same button mashing over and over and over again. <laughs> and um, yes, that, that, that appeals to a certain audience, but it's, um, it's not the same as a game like Left 4 Dead, which I think really implements all those ideas together nicely. And yeah. um, when you're dealing with a, a, an RPG tabletop game or a, or a board game, 
that has story and, and skill and reward, which everything does have one of those elements in one way or another, I think just finding a way to implement them together smoothly is, uh, is really the key. And uh, one of the things with rakes and the system of uh, the rake system is the combat and the skills are really implemented well with the character's reward from getting back what they put into them. Uh, the skill system specifically is uh, there's uh, different varying degrees of difficulty of what skill you're trying to do. So if you're trying to do a fitness check and you want to jump over a hole, well, depending on how big that hole is, is going to be the difficulty of the jump. Mm -hmm. But the character really is setting that difficulty based on whether or not they want to jump it to begin with. So the reward of that jump is going to be given to the player if they have the skill to to be able to perform it. So they roll a, a, a 1d20, let's say it's a, you know, a, I, I don't know what the number is off the top of my head, but uh, let's say it's a 10-foot hole, mm -hmm. and they've got to jump it, they get a little running start, and they run and jump over the hole, they roll their, their d20, and they roll a 10, and their score score in fitness is, uh, is a 13. Mm -hmm. So they've rolled underneath their score, they successfully jump over the hole and make it to the other side. Now the skill is there, the story's there, and the reward's there. It's mm -hmm. the three elements that make up you know, a great game. So as long as you keep those things consistent in in any game system, in any uh, in any world, then you're you're giving back to your your players what they should get. Hmm. So um, so that SRS, I, I try to um, incorporate that into everything in the game. Yeah, that's... and I can get it more to combat and skills of the of the system if you're interested as well. But yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I've never heard it put like that in how to. Yeah, because <laughs> you always try. It's and something talk I, about... yeah, I came up with it a while back and wrote a. a uh, a quick article about it and, and yeah. toss it up online on my blog, and a few other people have reposted it el elsewhere. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty simple uh, if you follow those ideas, and it doesn't have to be, you know, thirty three percent, thirty three percent, thirty three percent point yeah. remainder. Mm -hmm. It can be chess with one percent of story and ninety five percent skill and four mm -hmm. percent reward. Uh, I mean, it it can be whatever it needs to be for your audience. Yeah, yeah, but it has to. Yeah, I suppose you could see it as one of them could be weak, but the other two have to be strong enough to make up for it. For like, exactly. for example, your example of um, World of Warcraft, pretty weak in both skill and story. So, oh, definitely, the uh, the reward has to be a hell of a high to, <laughs> to make up high, for it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I I referenced my girlfriend in that article a lot because um, she uh, and and specifically she she'll play games and um. She'll turn to me. The title of the article is called um, "This Game Sucks," and she'll turn to me often and say, "This game sucks." <laughs> and, and I was like, "Well, why does it suck?" And it's really what derived this idea of SRS out of it. And and I had to sit back and go, "Well, why does this game suck? Uh, you know, is it is it lacking one of these things? And does it have one? You know, is it trying to make up for its lack of skill?" that the player needs to, to give to it by giving you too much story yeah. or giving you too many rewards. And, and um, she played World of Warcraft for a little while. And um, I, I, not for, I, I say a little while as in a couple hours. And um, <laughs> I think she got to level six and she said, well, this is stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing the same thing over and over again. The, the reward wasn't enough for her as a mm. player. So therefore the story fell, fell flat and the skill fell flat because she wasn't, you know, she didn't, she didn't like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and there's different games that I could I could 
talk poorly about it with SRS, but I won't. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's listening, or if I know anyone that works for those companies, yeah, just I, in case. <laughs> yeah, they, they get mad at me. And call me. <laughs> well, you got into uh, you got into the mechanics of uh, of rakes there. I think that's probably a good chance to to talk about it. Um, so skills checks you were talking about there. How so? How detailed does it get in terms of um, how crunchy do the rules get? So you're talking about a ten foot hole. Does that come with specific numbers, or is there a bit of interpretation in there? Um, there, there is some crunch, I'll say, um, when you get into specifics, and um, there, there, there are a lot of points in the book specifically. Um, well, there's the public handbook. I'll say for for first mm-hmm. is. Um, Roughly 80 pages. I forget what it is right now. Every every year, there's a new incarnation of the public handbook that's put out. It's free. Um, you can download it at rakesgames.com. It gives you an abridged version of the rule system. Mm-hmm. The um, the that book has a very specific way of of sharing the information with the audience, and um, there are set specifics to the 11 skills that exist. Um, there's awareness, focus, fitness. Medicine, merchanteer, negotiate, operate, resistance, sneak, survival, and tech. Mm-hmm. And everything that you'd want to do in a game falls into one of those. There's also knowledges. There's uh, five different knowledge groups, and th- there's there are only those skills. And it really kind of puts players into if they need a skill, they exist. If they don't need a skill, they don't have to do it. Um, Storytellers, many times in the book, specifically in the Chrome War 2145 book, there are a lot of places where it says at storyteller's discretion or storyteller can do this. Um, I personally enjoy people that um, make home rules for their games. However, when you're creating a system that has particular layers and rules there for a reason, you want to give specifics as to why they're there. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are those crunchy rules that are there. Um, but the way the skills work, and, the, and there's two different elements to the rake system. There's skills and there's combat. And um, the two are not in the same family of how they work. Um, combat is separate from skills. And your combat roles, um, I'll get into in a second, but for skills, you have, uh, you have difficulty levels um, for your skill checks. And they are a basic check, which is just a flat D20. Mm-hmm. And if your skill is a 10, then you have a 50% chance of making it. A right. one is a critical on the skill, and a twenty is a critical failure. Mm-hmm. So you you roll your your d twenty, and if you roll under your skill score, then you make it. If you roll over it, then you don't make it. Mm-hmm. And there, that's the basic check. So that's anything everyday life, and you don't have to roll a basic check. It actually says specifically in the book, players do not have to roll basic checks unless they are influenced by some sort of outside combat or distraction. Right. So that's like starting your car, or, or you know, you know, doing, you know, walking. Basically, you don't walk <laughs> into the wall. Um, <laughs> players don't have to roll those normal things because yeah. they exist. Just that's regular gaming. Yeah. Um, but then there's the the levels of easy, medium, hard, epic, legendary, unimaginable, and uncanny. Right. And it gets so ridiculous to the point of uncanny where it's literally a plus 45 difficulty to the d20 roll so now you're rolling a d20 plus 45 so that's an uncanny that's that's you know one point zero 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 one percent of mankind yeah. can do this yes. particular thing that you're about to do and that's reserved for high level characters and um fluke moments yeah um 
now the the the, uh, the skills are, are are basically as they are. There's there's rules. Um, each skill has all of their easy, medium, all these difficulties, and it says what you can do at each level. So it really gives a guideline for storytellers to say, um, "You want to do this? Here's exactly what check you have to make." And of course, you know, storytellers and gamers and groups are all going to make up their own house rules for things. But mm-hmm. we've given them a guideline. Um, okay. But beyond skills, um, I'll, uh, I don't know what you want to hear first. Do you want to hear combat or professions first? Uh, just quickly, before you go into that, combat would be good, actually. Yeah. I'm interested in that. But what, I mean, it's only a small thing, really, but what made you go upside down <laughs> as opposed to, uh, as opposed as to the, the traditional, the, like, yeah, um, the D20 over. Yeah, exactly. process? Yeah. Well, um, you know, and I think, um, there are some other systems out there that go upside down as well. Yeah. And when when you look at systems, I'm going to reference my girlfriend again because she, uh, she, <laughs> she cracks me up. This. Whenever I'm stumped with something, and um, over the last five years, she'll she'll try to say I want to help, but she she doesn't know a lot about gaming. Yes. Um, in, in the tabletop capacity, where she'll say, "Oh, what can I help you with?" And I say, "Can you help me with this number and this and making this balance with that?" And she'll say. <laughs> Just multiply it by five <laughs> every time. She says multiply it by five or multiply it by ten when she really thinks I need help. <laughs> and so that's her answer to everything. And um, there, there are some systems out there, and I, I, I will say the D20 speci- system specifically does do a lot of multiplying by ten. Uh-huh. And um, it, that's the way um, a lot of games are balanced is, well, let's give characters a set number to start with, Um and let's add 10 to it and then let's add more and mm-hmm. add more and more and more until you've gotten to the point where a character has 200 hit points and they're up against another character who has 10 hit points mm-hmm. because they're 20 levels higher they all of a sudden are impossible to kill um, yeah this, this system I went backwards because for one, that's the natural progression that the game took. Originally, I, um, for designers out there, I originally had a uh, 2D12 sliding scale where I said 12 was going to be my, my no-no zone and one was going to be, or well, two technically, uh, 2D12 was going to be my good number. Okay. So uh, if you rolled a 12, you fail. If you rolled a two, you, you would critically succeed. And I was increasing and decreasing that number based on the difficulty. And the difficulty was was creating a sliding scale there that I had to expand beyond just 12 numbers. Um, And one of the things designers should, of course, be aware of in math is um, a bell curve and being able to find, you know, the how often something happens Mm -hmm. in in that percentage of time. So if you have a 1d20, what are the chances of rolling a 1? Well, it's 5%. If you have a a 1d100, what's the chance of rolling a 1? Oh well, that's one percent. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to have it too big, but you also don't want to have it too small. And a D20 is a very uh, that die is very common. Most people like rolling a D20, yeah. and it's accessible. So that's one of the reasons that the D20 number is ultimately what what was um, decided upon. Yeah. And then balancing out the scale of an easy check being plus one difficulty, uh, medium being plus three, uh, hard being plus six, epic plus twelve. Yeah. Those those scale the same way that I had my original D two D twelve scaling. Mm-hmm. 
It's just that the numbers are, are slightly um, embellished beyond what they were. Yeah, no, I like it. It's nice and simple. It seems, well, you used the word accessible there. It seems really accessible mm-hmm. to me to, to learn e- exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And the goal was ultimately to make a game that someone who had never played a tabletop RPG game before yeah. could read the rules and understand them, first yeah. off. Yeah. And then people that have played the game before would say, oh, okay, this looks familiar enough. I just have to change what I'm used to here and here, yeah. and all of a sudden now I can go. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to reinvent the wheel with it yeah. because there are a lot of games out there that try to do that, and there's a reason that D20 games are really popular. Yeah. Um, they're accessible, they're easy, and and they make sense. And yeah. and D20 is literally just a way of saying, well, a 1 in a, on a D20 is literally a f- 1 to 5 on a D100, yeah. which is 100%, which in math makes sense. Yeah. So um, so that's ultimately how the, the skills got weighted the mm-hmm. way they were and there's there's way more into it of, of making um, a balance chart and a flow chart in Excel to figure out <laughs> where the average was going to be in the median and I, if I could get it to 10 uh, and 11 then I was okay yeah and that's when the games designer wishes the paid uh, attention and probability at uh, yes <laughs> yes statistics is important take statistics yeah forget calculus forget all those other things just take statistics <laughs> yeah it might be boring but it'll come in useful later <laughs> it comes in really useful for gaming don't worry <laughs> cool um, so uh, so combat then how uh, is it uh, is it pretty similar games. or uh, uh, combat is not similar to there are similarities to other games, but I would say that combat is really where breaks shines in my mm-hmm. mind. Okay. Um, so in combat, unlike most games where you roll to hit and then you roll your damage dice, your attack and rake system is literally just one roll. So okay. you have the roll of whatever the weapon is that you're utilizing, plus all your bonuses to attack with it. Uh-huh. Um, so if I'm making a... If, if it's a medieval setting, let's say... Or any setting where I have a sword. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a sword and I'm going to swing at you. Now, actions in games um, are different. In rakes, there are three actions per combat turn. So at the beginning of combat, everyone rolls an initiative that's based off a certain number that's I don't want to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone rolls an initiative, and unlike most games, initiatives re-rolled every end of initiative so you may end up attacking before an enemy or after an enemy and that could be very important um, during the strategy of the combat so that's one element that's uh, a little specific for rakes is that you have these independent um, rounds of each other you're not always acting at the same time yeah so you've got three actions what you can do with these three actions is whatever you you choose so that's where skills play in, that's where combat plays in, movement plays in, and strategy. So in the game there are no classes, per se. Mm-hmm. When you create your character, you create your character with a background, and you have an origin background that, there's some a little element of that in the free public handbook, but the, uh, the origin of the Chromor setting, for example, the Chromor 2145 book, you actually take your first you know, a few days on, in the world and as a child up to school, maybe higher education, maybe you live on the streets. Um, you get all these skills from your background and, and money from your background. And then you choose a profession. So the difference between classes and rakes and professions is there's no classes, there are professions. Mm-hmm. And what professions are, are basically these uh, tiered 
uh, tiered professions of most of them have around seven tiers in them some of them have more some less and as you advance in these profession tiers you gain specific abilities only allowed to those professions they might be uh, for, for example there's a game that I'm playing um, as a player which I never never get to do um, I get my once a week game as a player yeah <laughs> um, there's a Rake's game that I'm playing that's a, a zombie game, and my character is a aristocrat and a grifter, and he, those are the two professions. Right, and now okay, in sure. the Chrome War 2145 setting, there's about 21 professions, I'd say, give or take. Uh-huh. And uh, so I'm a grifter and an aristocrat, and the things that a grifter and aristocrat can do are um, I can negotiate against enemies to gain bonuses. So I can use my negotiate skill, which, um, as we were talking about skills before, negotiate is actually one of the only skills that has a different role. You, you roll a 44 um, plus your bonuses against an opponent's 44 plus bonuses. Mm. So um, that that's one mechanic that's different than the other skills. Yeah, sure. Um, it's also the same with uh, grapples. If you're grappling an opponent, you actually roll an opposed grapple, uh, 44 plus uh, your bonuses. So are there um, a lot of these profession skills that can be used in combat then? Oh, all of them. Right, um, okay. I would say 90, 90%, 95% of the profession uh, abilities you can use in combat. Right, okay. Um, now, when you grab professions, they also give you a slight skill bonus too. Mm-hmm. So if, if I were to take an aristocrat, I might gain a negotiate bonus and maybe a merchanteer bonus. Merchanteering right. is um, finding items in the world or uh, being able to identify things. Um, so as an aristocrat and, and a grifter, and a grifter is just someone who's like a, kind of a shady thief, yeah. um, combining those two professions, I'm not a overall combat guy, mm-hmm. but I can negotiate against an enemy and gain an attack bonus on them for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Or I can seek out cover in a room, run next to it and gain that cover bonus for my character for a certain period of time. So all of a sudden now I'm more of a combat guy. Mm. So depending on the situation, your profession is going to be able to enhance what you're doing. And all of those abilities are either one action, two action, or three action. Right, okay. So if I'm negotiating against a zombie, which can't negotiate back, so I'm automatically going to win. So I negotiate against a zombie and, and trick him as I'm going to attack him. So I make him look the other direction, a misdirection. So I use one action, I misdirect him, and attack him with my weapon, I gain a bonus. So maybe that attack, or the, the misdirection is one action, but the attack w- is one action with a small weapon. Mm-hmm. So now I've attacked him with that small weapon and gained the bonus from the misdirection and dealt more damage to him. Right, okay. So Because I only have one attack. Yeah. So are most characters very similar in terms of, you know, the traditional stuff like strength and speed and things like that? And it's well, there's the bonuses a, there's come five from... attributes. Right, okay. So there's a muscle, agility, intellect, charm, and soul. Uh-huh. And I would say that most characters aren't the same. Um, your, your movement is based off of uh, your agility... Um, Plus five, mm-hmm. so it's uh, agility. I think agility times ten plus five, uh, something in that combination. So, uh, so your your ability to move every action is based off of how quick you are, and so when with your three actions in your turn, you could you could choose to move and just that would be all you do. You move three times, mm-hmm. sure, or you could move once. And with um, with attacking with weapons, one-handed weapons are one action, and two-handed weapons are two actions. So 
you could use three attacks with a one-handed weapon if you're next to a target. Or you could do one big attack with a two-handed weapon as two actions yeah. and still have another reaction. You could punch somebody with that action. You could do a skill. Um, it's it's up to the player at that point how they want to okay. combine those things. Yeah. And that's really where the, uh, the professions and all the different combinations of things that you could do play in. Yeah. And um, so, so you've got that, and uh, with combat, and I don't know, now, I'll, now I'll tell you about combat. So you've got these one, two, or three actions, and you've got weapons that either require one action to attack with or two actions, and they don't roll to attack; they just automatically hit. Everything in the, in rakes is assumed that you're trying to hit your target. Um, unlike games where you're swinging a sword and oh, oh, I'm sorry, you miss. <laughs> it's you're 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 swinging at the guy who's in front of you. Yeah, sure. So, so if I'm swinging my sword at a guy and it's and it's a one-handed sword, that means it takes one action for me to swing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm swinging the sword at a guy, and let's say it's your character, and your character has defenses. Okay, it's very simple. You have a dodge. That's how much you can avoid a regular swing. That's you moving out of the way. That's your natural ability to move. Dodge is based off of a uh, character's natural defense. For human characters, it's plus one. Aliens might have more. Uh, smaller, shorter characters might have more because they're better at avoiding. Yeah, yeah. Um, plus your agility, um, plus any bonuses you might have to your dodge. So dodge is automatic avoidance. Mm -hmm. Then you can throw in parry. <coughs> Let's say you're parrying with a weapon. You can deflect some of my attack. Then you've got a shield. Then you've got outer armor that you're wearing. And then inner armor. Okay. If I get past all those defenses, I deal damage to your life points. Right. Now, each of those defenses, shield, armor, uh, parry, they all have a DR rating, damage reduction, which is used in a lot of different games, but uh, not used this way. Uh, damage reduction reduces the amount of damage coming in. And how much damage reduced is dealt to the hit points of that gear. So if you have a shield with DR plus 1 and hit mm -hmm. points of 10, then if you're using it and I swing at you, it blocks 1 right, damage. Okay, sure. So again, when you mentioned before the D20 and I'm going backwards, yeah. same thing happens with this. Hmm. It's the attack subtracted from all the defenses. Mm -hmm. yeah. The remainder is the life point damage. So you get into this um, strategy of, of gameplay of, do I want to attack with a small weapon that can attack um, more often? Yeah. I get three attacks per round, or it only costs me one action to utilize. Mm. Or do I want to carry a big two-handed weapon that deals more damage and possibly has the chance of bypassing all these defenses? Yeah, yeah. The smaller weapon might be handy if I want to whittle down armor on a target until it's broken, and then all of a sudden all he's got is his dodge. Yeah, and now I cut right through it. Mm. Yeah, I like so, that. I like the flexibility that offers. The fact it just seems a bit more creative as well. You can come up with different ways to attack as opposed to the standard. Right, I, I have exactly. my sword or and I was a, shoot my yeah, bow and arrow or whatever. Yeah, the uh, the SRS, the game design balancer, the the yeah. skill reward story really built into that. Of uh, you know how can how can this combat be dynamic so that it's telling a story. And utilizing all these skills that we've gotten, the abilities and professions that mm. we've we've acquired, 
and give the player a reward for accomplishing something. Yeah. So, so that was really um, from a design perspective of you know how can we incorp- incorporate all this so it's just not I swing at you, do I hit? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well I take off you know X number from your three hundred hit point pool. Yeah. Have you found that it's encouraging a bit more storytelling at all? Like the fact that you can put in skills and uh, sort of the profession stuff into the the combat. Oh yeah, uh, and and that's huge. I mean. Characters, um, players in the playtest, and we've had um, we've had close to a hundred people playtest this over the years. I'd say there's a definite twenty or so that are pretty hardcore about it that have been testing for over the the last four to five years, and mm. um, they've really seen the changes in the system over that time. But um, but yeah, they've 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 tried to exploit as much as they can. <laughs> <laughs> Um, early on, and yeah. there were changes made to fix exploiting. Um, but now, as opposed to people early on, were just making you know fighter characters. Now, now there's a lot more diversity where people are really using those civilian-like professions to be successful in combat. Yeah, I, d- I imagine there's a lot of ways in that you haven't expected them to be used as well. Oh, all the time. <laughs> there, there are literally um, 450 different abilities. And um, you get abilities um, at character creation, and then you can get them as you as you level up. And um, every every level, you get a, a possible profession or profession node, as it's called, which right. are these little spokes that come off the profession trees. Okay. And um, when you grab a profession node, you get a free ability, and the uh, the abilities are these other um, options for your character. They either you know making your character stronger in combat, or they're they're, they're very simple generic abilities. Um, but there's 450 of them. Including all the magic, different the different right. magic. Yeah, um, and magic's very cool too. Um, magic utilizes the focus skill, and what that means is every time you want to cast a spell or perform magic, you have to roll underneath your focus score. So if I'm a wizard and I have a focus of of 15, that's pretty good, but it's not great. So I can cast a lot of low-level spells pretty easy. So I want to cast a you know a fireball, yeah, and it's a low-level fireball. Um, and I say low level as in a low ability fireball. There might be other abilities beyond that. Right. Okay. Um, so I want to cast a fireball. I have to roll a d20 as a focus check, just to be able to conjure that magic to be able to cast it. Mm-hmm. So every time I perform magic, I have to make a focus check. I might fail. Yeah. And, and I might waste my action. Yeah. So the higher the power, maybe I want to cast a more powerful focus ability. And it, let's say it's an epic focus check. That's a plus 12 to my d20. My 15 in focus isn't looking very good now yeah. with a plus 12 to my d20. <laughs> yeah. That's that's not going to happen as often. So I think it's, well, that's about 15% of the time. So I might just want to cast small fireballs until I get more powerful and level up and, and start putting more points into my focus or, or gain more things to give me a, a better focus. Mm. So it really makes this... Um, uh, the, the focus in spellcasting really allows players to be interesting with with magic and spellcasting, and it, it makes spellcrafting a um, kind of unique to the system. Right. Because wizards now can perform magic whenever they want; they just have to make a focus check first. Okay. And um, the focus is uh, linked to the spell. Yeah. How have you found the um, the balance with the magic in this game? I mean, it's always a classic. Yeah. Wizards oh, yeah. are absolutely dead in the first few rounds, <laughs> first few levels. Sorry, but then well, suddenly outstrip everyone no, else later on. Um, well, and that's that's one of the things that's nice about this is that um, 
the the spells there are really really powerful spells but they require such enormous amounts of focus that they can only really be done by great spellcasters yeah and every character has 10 life points to start okay and I, and I did say before I did not like multiplying by 10 but that's just a number that is used <laughs> for life points yeah um, it's the only time you see a, a multiple of 10 um, so you've got 10 life points to start and then you you gain life points through your professions. You might, if you're a soldier or a fighter, you might actually gain more life points as you as you level through those professions. Um, but that's pretty much everybody's the same, and everybody can wear armor and gear, and yeah. everybody's gear has hit points. So your gear might erode and wear away, and you might have to buy new armor uh -huh. or repair that armor. So spellcasters are in the same situation as everyone else. They have to wear armor like everyone else. They have to buy armor like everyone else. And they have to make a focus check like everybody else's skill checks mm. to be able to cast their spells. So mm -hmm. spellcasters are actually, um, I would say they're harder because you have to focus on the focus skill. But at the same time, if you're a spellcaster, most likely you've taken the, that focus skill, so you're pretty good at it. Yeah. And uh, this, the the magic professions have more options for more spells right um and they can really get a lot of different spells in their arsenal that kind of change it what they can do and a lot of their spells uh have um differences than just i'm going to deal a nuke you know they can they can change the tide of battle based on what they're doing yeah so um yeah there, there's always with magic in any game there's you know players are going to be creative with things yeah. um but ultimately I think it's pretty balanced so far. I haven't had any complaints from people, and I've had some really, um, really interesting spellcasters over the years in playtests. Yeah. And I've played in games with uh, with other people running Rake System game, and uh, they've they've made some really interesting choices. That sounds good. I I'm always traditionally a, a wizard in all the games I play, yeah, uh, and everyone go. always gets annoyed with me because basically they have to stop me from dying in the first few games, and then well, no. yeah, and then they just well, stand mean, behind me. It's while. possible to die early in this game, depending on you know what you're doing. Yeah, um, no, but just I mean, particular to uh, to wizards or spellcasters. Yeah, well, yeah, and and everyone starts with the same life points too. Yeah. So if you're a f and, and that's the other thing about uh, being a spellcaster in this game. You can be a spellcaster and carry a sword. Hmm. Yeah, I, li I like the sound of being able to wear armor. That'd be quite nice. Yeah, and you can wear armor. <laughs> um, oh, the, uh, the ability to wear armor and, and wield weapons in this system, there's something called CP, which is combat potential. Uh -huh. And all gear that requires um, training has CP rating. Okay. So you as a player actually have a CP rating, a combat potential rating. And based on your combat potential rating that declares how good you are with armor or with weapons so you can wear whatever you'd like uh -huh. but if your CP rating doesn't match the CP rating of the gear that you're using you're probably gonna have a negative for it right okay so that just you know that that alleviates the hey I'm, I'm fresh out of school I'm a wizard and I'm gonna put on this battle armor yeah and I'm gonna go fight <laughs> well, your CP might only be a two or three, yeah, and that armor might be an eight. Uh -huh. So the difference between your CP and that armor is going to give you a negative to your movement, possibly a negative to skills. Yeah. So as a wizard, yeah, you may still have a negative to your focus checks, but if you raise your CP value, which is really easy to do, then 
guess what? You could wear that battle yeah. armor and be a wizard <laughs> yeah. and be a really scary guy on the battlefield. Yeah, that sounds good. It's, it's, it's really what you want to make your character. And um, a lot of people, like my, uh, I was saying before, the, uh, the aristocrat grifter that I have in yep. that other game, I don't wear any armor. Hmm. I just I utilize my environment for cover, and I utilize um, cover is uh, negated from attacks as well in the game. Uh-huh. So uh, the more cover you can find, whether it's from weather, environment, or um, you know natural cover that you can gain, the the better your chances are of avoiding an attack. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so really, you can you can make your character whatever you'd like, and um, kind of diversify as well and, and you're not stuck in one profession or another you can, you could literally make a level 20 character with 20 different professions mm. all at all at tier one of course yeah so no, it's, it sounds really interesting the fact that it gets away from the the normal problem of you if you get into a world or a story that you really enjoy you're two years in and then suddenly you're just getting a bit frustrated with being stuck down this path Oh yeah, but you can, yeah. there's no holy trinity here. I, yeah. Of course, there, I mean, you can make a fighter character, you can make a wizard nuker, you yeah. can make a thief. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, the professions allow for that type of build. Yeah, but you're not stuck. Yeah, in anything, and mm-hmm. um, the skills being so few. I mean, there's only eleven skills. I think there's eleven. Yes, there's eleven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you you really um, all of the skills are utilized in different ways, and you can be helpful to the party as a a medic wizard mm-hmm. you may not cast um, magical healing spells but you might be really good at medicine yeah um and when you heal a character with medicine you actually can heal them um it may take time to restock your healing pool but um you can heal them yeah um, so y- you can really make any kind of character you'd like i love making an unarmed wizard um <laughs> the, the, those are the spell casters with um with fighting is, is is just so much fun. Yeah. Because uh, uh, punching and kicking, punching's one action, kicking's two actions, uh-huh. and there's different abilities you can take. Where uh, there's there's one where you can take and you can combine two one action punches for an uppercut. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, you you can take another ability that says if you at least throw two punches in that turn, you gain an extra free attack with your offhand. Yeah. So you can start co- combining these yeah. things, and that works with uh, with melee weapons too. If you if you swing your your melee weapon twice uh, with your first two actions, you can get an offhand attack with your other hand, <laughs> and uh, you can end up starting to compile all these different attacks where you get like five attacks in one round. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's going to be you know against somebody's armor, you might not be dealing as much as a two handed wielder, but you're dealing a lot of damage. <laughs> you can tear up armor in in one or two rounds. Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. It's kind of it's going towards uh, the type of game and that um, Joe, on our, the, one of the other presenters on our podcast, mm-hmm. tries to encourage a lot of his games are around um, they're kind of on the less crunchy side of things, a lot of it more storytelling and really yeah. improvising and stuff like that. And I sometimes I like his games, but I do get a bit frustrated sometimes about not having as much uh, kind of uh, the numbers crunch. and the stats and stuff <laughs> like that. I, I'm a bit of a numbers guy, I have to admit. Keep. Yeah, people like crunch. Um, <laughs> And there's, I love playing games that are completely open-ended where there's yeah. no rules. And, yeah. and I've definitely, in my history, I remember in college at one point in time, I recall uh, the TV show Cowboy Bebop was popular. From, from <laughs> right. I'm over, I must have been 19 at the time. Yeah. And um, I remember playing a game with a bunch of friends where I said, okay, guys, I'm going to run a Cowboy Bebop game. There are no rules. <laughs> Do whatever you want. And that kind of game was really fun because it was silly and zany and it was all about the story and the ridiculous situations that could happen. And yeah. 
at the end of the game, I think it was a, it was a one shot, one game, one night campaign, and uh, at the end of it, the characters were on the outside of the ship, staring at the guy flying the ship in space. <laughs> so of course, you know that, that that wouldn't happen, but it was fun, and yeah. uh, and those kind of games are great. But unfortunately, when you're creating a game system and trying to sell it, you kind of need that crunch. Yeah, um, from this perspective, there yeah. are games that do really well with um having some open endedness, but yeah. when you have a 300 page book and um, the possibility of uh, of licensing it to computer games and other other types of things. Yeah, um, you need the crunch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's I mean that's been really good. It's been so interesting to hear about it, and I I hadn't come across rates games at all before this, and I've just been but looking at the play tests and stuff since talking to hiding. you. Yeah, and I think we're definitely going to get a game in uh, in the next uh, couple of months and uh, put a wee review up on the the website. So mm-hmm. uh, thanks very much for coming on and chatting to us about it. Oh, definitely.